welcome to another episode of The Beeswax. This episode I am absolutely excited about and you'll hear why I'm excited about it. But I have a special guest this episode. Her name is Naya and Naya and myself had a really great conversation around social justice, what it looks like, what we define it as, some of the nuances that still exist in social justice or at least in the conversations that we had about social justice as well. Um, And then also some questions and some curiosity that we've passed off to the listeners to be able to hear what your take is on social justice work so let me introduce okay this powerhouse okay this power house of an individual so naya lewis is a vancouver-based independent curator and mfa candidate at ocad moved by the goal of equitable access to art and diverse stories in canada Her work is the culmination of African resistance, love questions, actions, study, and embrace. Currently, she serves as the founder and director of Black Art Gastown, a year-round programmer, Vancouver Queer Film Festival, and contributing curator at the Vancouver Art Gallery and UBC Museum of Anthropology. A writer, activist, and community organizer, committed to building just and inclusive cultural and social infrastructure in Vancouver. Her work celebrates the strength and perseverance of Black Canadian culture, history, and its diversity. (laughs) Yes, I told y'all. A straight up powerhouse. Renegade powerhouse. Okay, Naya is next level, literally next level absolutely epic human being um apparently i have you know built her up in my head to be uh somebody who does a job which she describes as sitting in the corner eating her ham sandwich uh which i think is you know this magical mystical beautiful like in just these halls filled with like ancient um art and books and scripts and like you know heavily with these security guards around her you know and at the flick of her finger you know somebody goes and gets this from the labyrinth that from that place this from this place um and she chuckled (laughs) really hard at my description of what i think a curator is um and what i think her job is um but <laughs> Naya does not want me to be adding to uh, the f- to the fire of you know people thinking that she is not approachable. So Naya is very approachable. She's absolutely epic, um, and I'm glad to be able to slowly move our acquaintanceship um, into a whatever the next phase will be we'll (laughs) we'll have to wait and see so without further ado please 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 help me welcome naya lewis to the show naya and myself are going to be talking a little bit about social justice we actually were on instagram uh a few weeks ago and i think a post kind of sparked this and i think you had put up a post on your story and i was interested in like the language that was used 
in that post, but I can't really remember what the post was anymore. Um, but then we kind of got to talking about like the nuances in social justice, you know, what some of uh, the things that we know about, like I was asking, you know, questions around if your family has ties to kind of work in social justice or anything like that, um, and how that would inform things if you're new, if you're in the arts, um, you know, if you're doing it from home, is being from home participating. So all of this is something that we're going to talk about in the full scope. But the first thing I think we can um, sort of iron out is what is your definition of social justice? Yeah, um, I'm like looking for this post as we speak because it might be important. Um, oh, look, I found it. Um, so, so for me, um, for me, my definition of social justice is um, just this look at, at uh, distribution uh, of wealth, of opportunities, of privilege within society. I used to kind of think about fairness, um, but I, I think I've kind of divested from this idea of like inherent moral compass um, and towards more of this idea of equity, like social equity, economic equity, political equity, um, and that all of these things can kind of be like umbrellaed under four pillars, um, equity, access, participation, and rights. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. And rights. And so what, what do you think made you divest from like thinking about social justice as an ethical, moral kind of thing, uh, solely or intrinsically to, you know, equity in its kind of, I guess the way I'm, I'm, I'm hearing it is like, you know, at first it kind of originated as a thought and ideology, a principle in a sense. And then now the principles have changed so much so that they can actually also be uh, physical and uh, tangible. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I think just in general, you know, when you're younger or when I was younger, I came to social justice with this thing of like, what's right? What's fair? Do the right thing. You know, that's kind of like how your parents instill this very basic idea of social justice. Like, do the right thing. What's the fair yeah. thing to do? Um, but I think that, um, again, we all come to our own moral compasses in such different ways and we come from different points of reflection and um, we're seeing the um, we're seeing that social justice not based in equity, uh, but based in like kind of romanticizing this idea of fairness leads to a lot of disagreement. So, so I, maybe divest is the wrong term, but it's like this understanding that um, individualism uh, in the framework exists that there is like a currency <laughs> to social social justice justice right now that exists as well and completely impacts the way that we gatekeep, the way that we share, the way that we understand uh, what each other's needs are or what, what the way that we judge what is fair and what is not fair. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think fairness uh, for me feels like there's some sort of level playing fields uh, mm. where from you know from where we all kind of take off from whereas equity more so feels like you know, I, I would say that I'm, I would say that I'm militant in a certain sense. I was raised Rastafarian-esque. So mm -hmm. um, my militancy very much so refuses to not acknowledge the, you know, role of colonialism or those mm -hmm. types of things. So 
you know, what I think is fair <laughs> is not really necessarily what other people might feel is fair. Um, and so I think social justice continues to be this like arm of like, you know, who's defining it, how we're defining it um, and, and forcing myself to kind of think about who's the most at risk rather than this idea of like, uh, you know, fairness or putting fairness into the hands of individuals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I really love that you tied all of that together like that, because I believe that, you know, social justice work as well should be should be informed largely by those who are the most marginalized or those who are living uh, the most within, you know, the outskirts um, of society, right? As uh, outcasts or um, people who people who should be seen, but not really heard or like, um, it also came up when I'm thinking about like other people telling the black story that aren't black. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like if we think of equity, it's not it's not really only that the stories of these people have to be told. It's also that their transformations of their stories have to also exist so that they feel like they're able to get to a point where they can tell their own stories if they so wish. But it's not that they're acting out of this necessity all of the time and that, you know, these margins have to exist. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's so there's so much to be to be said just right right there with that statement you just made you know even if we start to unpack like of course we're both working within the social justice realm as it relates to black community Mm -hmm. and even if we think about uh you know who gets to tell the black story you know then we have to consider colorism (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. then we have uh you know we have to consider um you know patriarch we have to consider you know, uh, classism, which is really a large thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have to consider that, you know, although anti-Black racism is global, it doesn't permeate in the same way everywhere around the world. And while the U.S. is often centered for ideas about how to, I guess, associate with Blackness, it's very different if you're in the Caribbean, if you're on the continent, you mm-hmm. know, like, those things so even even in that like idea of who gets to tell these stories it's like it's just so nuanced (laughs) you know like there's so there's I'm sure we could spend the entire podcast just talking about uh, that alone so (laughs) who gets to define you know social justice it really is it, it shifts and it changes by the needs of the communities that are that are bringing it to the forefront and I think that's I try to usually just stay in that very general <laughs> description because anything else is like, oh, but we we have forgotten something. There's someone else that we, you know, there's someone else that we haven't, we haven't, that hasn't uh, had a voice in the space or, you know, there's, there's always mm. something, uh, different, you know, ways that that definition is expanding. So, yeah. And that's that, kind of, yeah. Um, I was going to say that I, I think, I think it's interesting to stay general, but I think it's also necessary to be specific. And I like to look at the different ways of how, you know, society has uh, defined what social justice work is, right? And I think about going to marches and protests, um, you know, and being out in the streets. Um, I even think of the, you know, the June 16 uprising um, from uh, South Africa, right? And kind of how that played out. Um, And, you know, even even, um, when Nelson Mandela was led out of prison, right, uh, during the elections, just like how 
it was necessary to be physically there because also there was no other way to be there. There was no other way to be a participant other than being there and showing up or seeing it on the news, right? If that, depending on what it was as well. And so um, now as we're thinking even more just about things like accessibility, right? I'm trying to think about people who can't physically be, um, you know, out in the marches or out in the protest, protest in the protests um (laughs) where does that leave them in terms of their participation in the social justice work and they can be you know unable to be at the protests or the marches for a variety of different things uh what do you think of that absolutely I mean right now there's this like I don't know this kind of uncomfortable conversation about Instagram activists, you know, Mm. couch, what do they call them? Couch activists or armchair activists, I think is the term. Um, You know, but I think the interesting thing that came out of this summer specifically that we haven't really seen discussed before is the different roles in activism and the necessity of all of those roles and there really being no hierarchy to the roles Mm -hmm. um, and that the hierarchy actually works in direct conflict uh, with the with the purpose of the movement in general, you know, and, and, you know, this is the first time. Uh, I guess maybe for this generation, this conversation is happening. But if we think about like, I spend a lot of time just because I, uh, in my own practice, thinking about iconography of the Black arts movement of the 60s. And, you know, there was the teachers and the staff and the supervisors and the folks, you know, at the Black Panther Party doing just the just the kids breakfast alone. But there was never this thought of like, uh, uh, you know, which which part of the movement was more important than the others, mm. right? Like it's all one ecosystem of the movement, uh, you know, necessary. I mean, that's not to say there wasn't um, glorification of, you know, Chairman Fred Hampton and stuff. And the same thing that we're seeing right now, definitely yeah. glorification of like very specific founders of Black Lives Matter being on Vogue covers and those types of things. And that doesn't mean they're not doing the work, but it also doesn't mean that the folks that are just using the hashtag or just reposting and aren't physically down on the ground aren't equally as important. Mm. Um, I think where it becomes okay to kind of challenge these conversations is um, when it comes to uh, allyship or when it comes to um, deterrence from the movement, which are like all that I'm accountable for is to post this square. And so nothing, <laughs> right? And so the, mm-hmm. the actual actions um, are, are not like, I'm not, I'm just not going to listen to the direction of what black community leaders are telling me that we need, right? Mm-hmm. We need bodies, we need um, lawyers, we need donations, we need, you know, and so if you're, not, if you're literally not checking any of those boxes and all, you know, and of course, this is not really so much for black folks, uh, but again, this is more like that allyship. What does that really look like? How do you move from allyship to accomplice? How do you actually mm. turn your activism into action? Like those types of things for me is where like, okay, maybe not so much judgment, but accountability comes into play where it's like, yes, you can't physically be there, but in what other ways are you showing up? Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I'm an artist. Um, and so that's the question that I continuously ask myself and ask my cohorts and ask my colleagues, what is the role of the artist in this movement? 
Um, and we look to older, you know, examples of movements uh, and artists to, uh, that have, you know, led the way for us to understand how we can use our platform and voice and our artistry as a tool for social change, um, because there is something that everybody can do. <laughs> you know, we don't have to show up to it in the same way, but we need to make sure the end impact is the, is the forward movement and the liberation of Black people. Yeah, 100%. And like, that would be the end goal. And I remember even when we were talking um, on Instagram that, you know, we were talking about this idea of looking at social justice as well from the lens of the US, right? And so um, imagining that just like, you know, um, uh, capitalism has always promised, right, this trickle down effect, this idea of like, you know, if the top of the top or the perceived top of the top get free, get rich, get popular, win at this game of capitalism, then everybody else will, in a sense, get the opportunity to win as well. But it forgets about a number of things. It forgets about the people who are not interested in the capitalism game, who are forced and thrust into this, you know, popularity contest, um, who don't want to be in the forefront. Um, but then, right, like, I'm even noticing now with social media, it's like, we, we know that there was people on the ground long before it became televised, mm-hmm. right? And we know that people continue to be on the ground regardless, right? And we know that um, action in person is also taking place. Um, but then there's almost this idea of like, I always get, you know, caught in like, how do we, how do we make sure to attribute and notice the people that are doing the work, but not to glorify them? How do we start to think of the people that are um, um, the faces of it, not as like the kings or the all knowers or like, you know, the ones who bestow all of the way or the or the knowing, but just that they are the people who, you know, we're adding our services into. That's the bucket that we're filling when we think about it. I'm not sure that I have the answer to that. You know, look, I'm, you know, I, I try my, I try my best individually to divest from celebrity culture just in general, but it feels like it permeates every aspect of society. And this is not necessarily, I mean, it's glorified in, in North America in a way and Europe that's, uh, you know, beyond comprehension. Uh, mm-hmm. We're literally raised into it. Um but I can't say, I can't, I don't know if I can say that. I, I know that, you know, activists in the Caribbean, just from my my upbringing, get treated the exact same way. They get, you know, like they get brought in on pri- private planes, like, mm-hmm. you know, full ceremonies. I, and really, these are shows of endearment and respect, but it is still absolutely an understanding that there is an, a, a hierarchy, you mm-hmm. know, and and the need and a need to uh, put our activists on pedestals, uh, and you know, it's definitely something that I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how to reverse. I'm not sure how that's how it would be possible to to step out of that. I um, I wonder if, though if it's the responsibility of the activists itself or the responsibility of of society to divest from seeing them as superhuman. You know, mm. that we are attempting to uh, attach our ideas of liberation and freedom freedom to this one person's very moving voice or sound or speech or, you know, you know, that it that they do feel larger than life, that they do feel like they are a, you know, visual representation of our liberation. And therefore, we have mm. to 
uh, protect them and lift them and make them larger than life, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I have the answer, but that's a really interesting, I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. <laughs> that's why I was asking. Um, but I always ask myself this, you know, and, I, and then I start to think like in order to obviously divest from uh, that idea of looking at, you know, those activists as celebrity or as glorified, um, a thought that, you know, came into my head was like, it reminded me of almost the way that I perceive um, my aunts and uncles and my grandparents and like people that are older than me and my parents um you know almost as like even the way culturally we were raised right you respect your elders that's what you do because they are you know they are the truth holders they are basically the library um that we have in our communities um as well and so you go to them for advice right they will tell you all of these magnificent stories and there's wisdom um and there's history in there as well and so i'm wondering if maybe you know within within this framework of um colonialism there's this individualism thing it's like you have to be there by yourself you know you have to glorify the one person uh this idea of tokenization we see it happening with you know racialized people they'll say you one off haha if they can make it all of you can and if you can't then you're useless right but they forget that even though you what am I trying to say I'm trying to put these ideas together but I'm trying Mm -hmm. to like create what I mean so it makes sense so I think that if we look at activists the same way that we look as at elders, right? Like people who have been in it, people who have been doing it. So they've accumulated an amount of knowledge, experience, a way to do it, right? That's how I would look at the activists who come before us. But I think that what also happens is that in the West, right? We're noticing even in media, in movies, the way that uh, children, Uh, treat their parents, the kids know better, right? The kids have the answers. The parents are almost portrayed as stupid, right? They're like, oh, no, you have to teach parents how to be parents. Um, And I think that it's, it's kind of mixed up because then it makes like the new people, the primary people, and not really the older people, the, like the, the forefront of it in terms of harnessing the knowledge. I don't know if that makes sense. Does it make even a little bit of sense? You lost me a little bit. I'm not going <laughs> to but but I do hear you in the sense of, um, I think there's like a couple of things that I think about and, you know, these are definitely not concrete uh, answers or thoughts or like things that I'm, I'm sure I will add on to as, as I continue with my like journey of, of knowledge and understanding. But, you know, we have to remember that the diff, it's, it's not just like a, this idea of like respect. Um, it's also this idea of reverence. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also that, um, you know, we actually culturally as African people see the orator and the griot and the storyteller and the holder of speeches as a role. Like that's an actual role. Um, it's a job, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. not the, and one that, not one that everybody can do, um, so if we think about like, you know, Malcolm X and Martin Luther King, there were a million of them, I'm sure, maybe not a million, I'm being extra, but I'm <laughs> saying there are a lot of people on the ground, um, you know, but it, but they weren't necessarily tokenized. 
in the same way as these like figureheads were right the same way that we're seeing like uh Janiyah future con right now being mm-hmm. kind of on the fourth at the forefront of you know but there's something really special that that can't be ignored uh, and I think that's a couple things are happening one society is creating the tokenism out of them really not not them right and because they, it really could have been anybody it could have been mm-hmm. sandy it could you know it could have been raven it could have been uh, cyrus you know all of these people um but but i think that they actually are all saying really the same thing um but society is is dictating which one of these voices is the most valuable is the most consume uh you know easily consumed easy to consume or or you know whatever they appease whatever they feel like is the most uh, you know has the most value or is the most sellable and mm. and and kind of pu- you know, pushes them into this like space of hero right but there are, there are a lot of heroes there we are in no shortage as as uh Dave Chappelle says we're in no shortage of heroes in the black community right mm. like this could be anybody um so you know but but I do want to acknowledge that there is a skill set to being the griot to being the st- storyteller to having a presence to being the front to being on the soapbox not everybody that gets up there holds the candle holds the weight can hold the task of representing an entire uh you know community or movement that's a very specific skill set and they should be respected as such and um, where it becomes into this like space of celebrity again is like are we attaching our ideas of freedom and liberation to them and does mm-hmm. that mean that we're assuming that they have to be larger than life in order to hold them, right? Mm-hmm. And, and they have to lead the way. Now they become the Messiah. Now they become the only truth. And, the, you know, like this, be, like, and again, I don't have the answers to that, but like there is that culture of needing, mm-hmm. of needing to attach those, feeling, those feelings and, uh, to one individual. But, yeah. you know, I don't think it's actually related to eldership. You know, I, I was reminded lately, like Fred Hampton was 21 when he died. Like these are mm-hmm. babies, you know, <laughs> I don't think Malcolm X made it to 40. Like these are not old people, right? They, they, we're not revering them because they've been here so long because they mm-hmm. know so much, right? And so who's to say there wasn't a million, you know, or however many yeah. other black people that were just as educated, but, you know, did not have the presence that some, that, you know, these now revered characters and, and, contributors to the movement have like we really need to you know divest from the idea of pushing them forward and and I know like we have these conversations like oh it's a social media thing it's not you Mm -hmm. know in their own special way like the black planter movement had you know like players that were as important as you know and whatever their social media would have been in that time like they were being followed (laughs) they were being you know they were being greeted with flowers, you know, cars and processions the same way that we're, you know, lifting and uh, revering folks now. Like it's, it's really not new. Mm. So I'm not have the answer. I would like, I'm interested to see if anybody listening to this has any other thoughts to add to the conversation about how we divest from that. Yeah. Um, but I guess I would add the question, like, is it necessary to divest from that? Does, is it even taking away from the movement? Like, is this even, you know what I mean? Like, is it harming yeah. anyone in any way? Like, is it necessary? I think that it's necessary to a point with what you were mentioning before about, you know, the way that we project our feelings so that, uh, or, or um, we project onto them this idea of being the Messiah, right? Of being the savior, right? And it reminds me of like religion, 
right and how even when we think of like uh god for example right or 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 um jesus or really any any um any archetype or you know godlike figure we think of them as being outside of us right we think of them as being over there like oh you know things are coming from outside of me you know coming in like uh god's going to bless me right or god's going to make it right um if you're in a bit of a pinch right like uh something else or somebody else is going to save me is going to secure this safety or secure this freedom for me and i think that a lot of the times I'm noticing personally, uh, especially with the movements that I was part of back home, is that then it means that people uh, relinquish their uh, role to act, right? They're like, okay, well, if this person is going to be the one who frees me, if they are the key, then all I have to do is follow them, right? Listen to what they're saying, but also not necessarily meaning that then I have to fully act, right? That then just sharing that person's quote or just sharing, you know, this person's story, who I think is the key, who I think is the one who's going to, you know, hold that um, is enough for me because I'm pushing their idea ahead. It's great and it's part of it, right? But there's also an idea of like gaining your own personal power. For me, when I see, um, you know, the freedom fighters or or I even, you know, look back at the June 16 uprising because it resonates with me so much. I think like, wow, if they can do that, I can do that, right? I must have that magnificence as well. Maybe not to be the um, orator, maybe not to be, you know, the one who's standing on stage, but like to be part of the crowd that pushes that forward. So once again, taking accountability of the actions that I will make. So how do I want to be involved then? Because at the end of the day, I'm also a vehicle that moves myself forward. Very well said. Absolutely. I completely, I completely agree. I think that what I heard from, well, one of the things I'm hearing you're saying is really this necessity to humanize, to maintain, you know, that they are just humans, that they are just like, you know, um, but also this idea of them not absolve their position or their like, you know, not absolving uh, the rest of community for, from needing to actually do, do the work. And yeah. I think that really ties into kind of um, the the posts that led us to start talking about this, the fascination and obsession with performance and symbolism and representation is why liberation seems so, so far off is what I posted. Um, because that fascination and obsession with performance or symbolism, and really when I said symbol, when we're, when we're saying symbolism, it means like, I, I was referring more to like the symbolism of an individual um, and why that makes this thing, it makes it feel like this thing needs to be said that represents, representation doesn't equal liberation, mm. um, right? Because, you know, of similar themes of what you're discussing, like one person's actions being catapulted into this position of the leader, the black voice, the messiah or whatever, you know, whatever title that is, does not... Uh, absolve the rest of the community from needing to get to work. And, and I think most people are getting to work. You know, I don't think that's true of everyone, I think. Mm. And I honestly don't think it's true of the activists in those positions. I think that um, where representation and symbolism become an issue is what, uh, specifically for the Black community, 
is when the person that is being acknowledged or being catapulted into that space does not actually hold a space uh, or um, does not actually hold care for the movement Mm. or for the people that they represent. Mm. Um, So uh, you will see that there's a lot of interesting uh, kind of di- intersecting conversations happening about Kamala's, you know, Kamala's um, legacy of, of her work, mm-hmm. why it really isn't that important that a Black woman or a South Asian woman um, is in the White House because her symbolism, uh, like, of, of just, you know, being there does not absolve the you know, harsh and very detrimental realities of what her legacy uh, as a prosecutor was. Yeah. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't mean or change anything for the people on the ground um, and for the communities that were affected by her work. Um, it, and so the argument is, does it really even matter, right? Mm-hmm. Like, are we so into the showboating of representation or the performance of it that we forget that there's actual work to be done? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it was a really interesting conversation. You, you responded, a couple other folks responded, but this idea of like, we still need images, imagery of symbols of possibility. And so her being there is still something okay to discuss or to be, uh, to, to feel glad in, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because we still, uh, benefit from we are the stories that we see right or else yeah. artists, artists would be out of work um you know so her her symbol the symbolism of her of her presence in the white house is still something to say right something to mm. shout about some folks that benefit from seeing that we still can say that it might change a little girl's perspective a little brown girl's perspective on what is possible for her we know that representation works that way or else we there wouldn't be such a large effort of white supremacy to deny us of imagery of ourselves, of symbolism of ourselves. We know that it works um, and we know what happens when we don't see it. Mm -hmm. Um, Now that next step to liberation is that it actually needs to work like it needs to function. Yeah. (laughs) Like, you know, like she actually needs to be of the people and for the people Mm -hmm. um, or else, or else she's just a symbol. and I and um, yeah, that's kind of kind of where that post was coming from, and I think it's, mm-hmm. it's an interesting and necessary conversation to have. A hundred percent, and that's so beautiful because that really reminds me of Jacob Zuma and like what the ANC has turned into. I don't know how much you or folks who are listening know about South African politics. Do you know much? No, please tell me. Okay, so um, so. Nelson Mandela, the party that he was a part of was the ANC, which is the African National Congress. And um, um, obviously he was president and then a few people after him were president and then Jacob Zuma was president, right? So the story really is about Jacob Zuma and specifically about representation, right? And so what what I notice, um, and I dare to say the youth of South Africa notice is that what ANC represents as a political party to the older generation is just representation. And what we're noticing is that that's where it stops. Because as a party now, the ANC is no longer interested in serving the people at all whatsoever, right? But they still get voted into power time and time and time again 
right? Because also we're noticing that, um, you know, the, 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 the demographics of people who are voting. And so obviously the youth needing to now invest themselves in voting and actually showing up and, you know, noticing the different ways that they're having a say, even though we don't want to be ruled by government anymore, right? And that's a whole other story. But we're noticing that even when I talk to my parents and I ask them, like, why are you voting for the ANC? You know, they're like, yeah, but these are the people that guard us free. Like this was our... This was our light at the end of the tunnel was the ANC, but their work is done, right? Their work is over in a sense. And so for me, I can see how representation is detrimental eventually, especially when there's no more action or work or participation or real intention to stick with your grassroots level folks and actually have that connection to community. It goes away and instead people get so consumed by again, winning this capitalistic game. And it no longer becomes about what they said before, that it's about the people, it's for the people, it's for community. Now we're all about, oh, let's go look at, you know, what capitalism says, who ranks there, what is happening over there, so. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that that representation without action is really like, I feel like we, we spent a lot of time, like just now spent a lot of time talking about, um, you know, activists and kind of taking on that heroic cape or that heroic platform. But I'm, I'm trying to think of one that does so irresponsibly and I can't think of not one. Mm. Um, you know, there, it, it does happen. But so I'm like, is it, is it a bad thing? I'm not sure it is for that role specifically in, yeah. in regards to black activists. I think that there's such a level of care and personal responsibility um, that is the perfect example of what representation and action hand in hand looks like and why yeah. that's okay like yeah. why I, why i would absolutely buy that vogue cover you know and mm-hmm. i want to buy that vogue cover um you know that they're on and that's you know because they are breaking into spaces saying that social justice really is conversations that can happen and should happen everywhere mm-hmm. and while you know they look really fly and look really dope and they're in this you know space that is completely materialistic I don't think I've ever once doubted that they brought their message with them that it was really Mm -hmm. clear what the action was and that 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 alone that representation or that magazine cover or that interview was really a call to action for everybody was an opening a door opening and a and um you know a message to everyone or to everyone else on the ground that's working in whatever role or capacity their activism calls them um that this is you know <laughs> this is what we're doing yeah. so it i think you know yeah I, I mean it's it's an interesting it's an interesting conversation but i'm i'm constantly kind of questioning uh you know my own role questioning other folks' role mm-hmm. uh, in terms of, you know, like, how can I support them? How can, you know, how can I do whatever I can to make sure that the, the agenda for our liberation is, is moving forward? Um, I don't know, are these like thoughts that you sit with often? A hundred percent, a hundred percent, because I think that, you know, there's also this idea that social justice, social justice, social justice work equals liberation right and we're noticing especially when i'm starting or at least i'm noticing um that 
as I start to, you know, dig a little bit deeper into how movements work back then, I realized that they were starting to introduce this idea of self-care or not even introduce it. They were avidly practicing, you know, this idea of self-care and like, you know, liberation, not necessarily being solely tied to the work that's being done, but um, to the work that's being done in terms of output, but also the work that you do in terms of input, like, for me, you know, I like to think of liberation as me being able to exist in a black body the way that I look and also be okay with it, right? And celebrate it and remember, you know, that even when I go outside and there's people, you know, who will say crazy, crazy ass shit to you, right? Um, that I can come back in my apartment and really feel like I can celebrate myself still, right? And to really still remember that like, liberation is also still part of that is that idea of being able to celebrate yourself and then also tied into like how you do that when you're working with other people right how are you gonna um expand that to other people that's why I went into life coaching right is to be able to uh help specifically black folks to really understand what it means to celebrate yourself and to celebrate yourself outwardly as well in the work that you do in the way that you participate with people and also in the way that you participate with the black community um I think a you know a really a really great thing about you know the Black Panther movement and when you're thinking about America also when you think about the continent and the Caribbean for me is this beautiful idea around how much blackness there is around you and how many black people that there are especially when you're in things like movements um where you get that like um it's tunnel vision but in a good sense like all you see is black mm. right and it's so like oh there's something that's so sweet about that where you're not getting always distracted 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 by like all the other crap that's happening and you can actually see the lives of other black people unfolding right and their highs and their lows and like life and they're turbulent and they're doing all these things but obviously in society as all of us were also progressing and I think that liberation is happening bit by bit right um Every, every every single time the wheel turns, I feel like it, it liberation is happening and also it morphs into a different kind of thing because we then, as the systems do too, they also morph into different types of, 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 of systems that will pretend that you're free, but they're still holding you captive. And so I feel like if we can keep ourselves like you do, right, being general and adding to things and learning and transforming and, you know, not deeming it as like this one solid thing means liberation yeah well not not that this one solid thing means liberation but that I mean I guess it, I guess yeah you're, you're you're right not there isn't one route to liberation um and there isn't one way to perform activist uh, activism yeah. um you know I, I come to it really generally and really honestly um I love the fact that you said that uh, you know racism evolves it absolutely does evolve um, and so, you know, my approach to it when I was 14 or 15 is different from when I was 21 is different from now I'm 30, you know, mm -hmm. and I, I was raised in a, um, I would say I was raised in an activist household, um, both my households. Um, and I think from a very, very early age, I understood that all of these uh, you know, arms, all the arms of this tree, all the branches lead to this one root mm. um, or lead to these roots and, and really that everyone has 
a different role to play. Like my mom worked in uh, social services, uh, like in housing. Mm-hmm. Um, and my dad was a musician, mm-hmm. um, artistic director. So it's like, you know, both roles that are not direct, they're not marching, <laughs> you know, they're yeah. not marching, they're not protesting in the street. Um, you know, but when it comes down to it, they're absolutely positively impacting the Black community. Um, and they did so from whatever position they held, from whatever platform they had access to, they would do that. Mm-hmm. And really it's more about uh, how do you carry the care of black, for Black community within you at all times. And like you said, sometimes that's in rest, sometimes that's in play, sometimes that's in joy. Sometimes that's, you know, in, in sharing light and sharing space. Sometimes that's in cooking for others. Like that can look like whatever it needs to in the moment. There's all these different ways to enact or to perpetuate black joy and, and activism. Um, and so for me, I think if you come to it quite, on, quite honestly and humbly that you're just like, you know, every day I'm thinking about ways to make my black life better and to open and expand my ideas of what black liberation and equity can look like for for community that there's this sense of collective healing mm-hmm. that flows within you that you have a what can i do for others mentality that you won't really go wrong I, I mean that might be a little naive to say but that's where i choose to to stay in terms of you know really trying to stay to in, to, to embody that all the time make mm. it at least gives me a sense of purpose and a sense of direction that I'm like even when I feel like I'm not doing enough that I need to be out there screaming at the very front on the front lines um that there needs to be someone to heal and to cook mm. and to draw and to sing and someone needs to document you know I always remind myself that James uh, you know Baldwin was never on the front line but it's someone that we we remember always always mm. always because they're you know, artists are the documenters, right? Yeah. We're the archiving, we're chronicling the moment um, and the movement. So, you know, this is kind of the ways that I keep myself grounded. Are we making uh, revolution irresistible in our own ways, right? Ooh, not just full of these quotables. Hey, hey. <laughs> I definitely cannot be quoted. I mean, revolution as something irresistible as Tony K. Bombara, but you know, uh. we, we I, I mean, yeah, I think that's, everybody should know that, that everybody should read Tony K. Bombara. It should be required. <laughs> well, I will be reading that next. <laughs> that's what I'm gonna be doing. Thank you for that. Okay, wow. I think, ooh. Wow, that was a lot of great stuff said. And I did a little bit of scribbling here as you were talking. And I think that um, it's so it's so it's so beautiful what you said. And I think it goes back to like intentionality um, as well. Um, you know, when you were saying, how do you care for the black community in your everyday, right? Uh, even when you're on your own. And I think that, you know, that leads back to really figuring out the, the ways in which you're changing and the ways in which you're growing um, to be, you know, to think like when you're on your own and there's nobody else around you and nobody is going to see this thought or is going to hear this thought, what are you thinking about? Are you thinking about, you know, liberating people? Are you thinking about, you know, caring, that care that you have for the Black community? 
you know, what is it that you're investing your thought play into, as I like to say, because uh, apparently we can play with our thoughts, which is something that I'm definitely investing in. Um, oh, I think it was, I think it was, I forget who it was. Ah, it slips my mind, but they were talking about this idea of having like, um, not getting lost in your thoughts, but like really taking the pleasure in thinking and thinking about something and like really participating in it as a um, as an activity, as an exercise as well. Um, but I love this. Thank you. Thank you for coming and being a part of the podcast. And I hope this will not be your last time. I know it will not be your last time. <laughs> I appreciate you. I appreciate the conversation. I, uh, it felt it felt like a living room conversation, which I love. I love that it was so free. I love that we we let it go wherever it needed to. And I hope that folks at home listening were not too confused by our river conversation. But that's what happens when there's just like genuine good energy in the space. So I really do appreciate you for that. Uh, thanks. Pew, pew, pew. So where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you? Um, like I said as well in the beginning, I will introduce you um, very poignantly and beautifully in the beginning, but how can people get a hold of you? And do you have anything coming up that you want folks to keep their eye out on? Um, I am on Instagram uh, at Naya, N-Y-A-H, and then period, and then Bingi, B-I-N-G-H-I. I, um, yeah, I think that um, when this comes out, um, it should be that the VAG is still open. It's open until June 13th. Where do we go from here um, is my placement right now. I'm curating at the Vancouver Art Gallery. Um, and uh, in October of this year, will have um, this exhibit called Sankofa opening at um, the Museum of Anthropology. So I'm always so pleased and happy that Black Community comes out to support um, my curatorial efforts. So thank you in advance. Um, but yeah, those are the next two things happening. And you don't want to miss these things. Like Naya is very modest, very modest. She's like, oh, you know, I'm this sweetie person, just like so, you know, poised and quiet and subtle. But this stuff is banging. This stuff is banging. Like, and it's banging not in just like, oh, it looks great. It feels great. It'll make you think. Like, if you've ever questioned anything that you're looking at, but you're not questioning what you're seeing, you're just questioning why you're thinking what you're thinking. That's, that's, that's what I get when I look at your work. And I don't know if maybe that's because I'm a Pisces, but I'm just always just like, what is life? After seeing yourself, I'm like, what is life? What is, I have to question everything now, every single aspect of the thing. And even now I'm going to listen back to this and I'm probably going to come at you with like, so this is my answer for this. This is what I meant when I glossed you here. <laughs> I was trying to explain all of this, but thank you for being a part of this, Naya. Ooh, 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 okay, ooh, 
I enjoyed listening back to that conversation. I hope that you have enjoyed listening to the conversation I had with Naya. And yeah, thank you for hanging out with us and letting us harbor inside your subconscious for some time. You can catch me at the underscore bees underscore wax on Instagram. Um, and that's where I will be sharing some more nuggets to remind you, perhaps throughout the week maybe, um, about aspects of the conversations that were exciting for me. And and yeah, I've been your host, Palisa, and I'll see you folks next week. Have a great week.